Sunday, September 15th is, is going to be a monumental day in the life of this church. For That is Foundation Sunday. September 15th, this church is taking a leap of faith, is taking a, a step out and beginning to lay the financial foundation for our first church home. We own nine and a half acres, just catty corner to this school right here off North Broadway, a gift from God from our planning church, Memorial Road Church of Christ. And we are in a place and a season as a church family where we have the opportunity to dream and vision for what, we, for what God has planned for those nine and a half acres right next door here. In the back of the cafeteria and here for a, a few more weeks, we have what we call our vision board. This is an opportunity for you to help share a vision for the Heritage Church home. What I'm asking is, uh, is for you to, to share a picture or two or, or several pictures inside, outside of churches, of spaces that you like, that, that speak to you, that represent something about a church home, and to p- simply pin it on the vision board. And we are collecting those visions as we begin to look ahead to what a heritage church home might look like. And right up here, you'll see this brown chair this chair represents the future. It is a, it's a chair that, that is a possible chair for what may be in our future church home. It's a, it's a chair that not only represents what could be, but it also represents all the people that could be a part of this church home. You see, we're not looking forward to building a structure. We're looking forward to building a home. We're a young church. In fact, we just celebrated our one-year anniversary being up here in this school full-time. We're a young church, but we are a church that is built from something greater than ourselves. We're a church that looks forward to and envisions a home because we believe God is calling this church to grow, not from structure, but from people. And so this morning, as we pay attention to this, I want to begin with Matthew chapter 22. This was a text that I read last week, but I want to pay attention to the second part of it. Beginning in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, it's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Um, I don't know if you enjoy puzzles. I despise them. And so naturally, my wife loves them, I guess. She is a big puzzler. Is that right? Is that, a, is that the noun for, for someone who likes puzzles? She enjoys puzzles. And I think she enjoys puzzles because she knows that it's her time and she's trained our children to stay away from her when she's doing puzzles, though my son seems to be pretty good at them. 
Um, and so every year what I try to do is around Christmas time is her favorite time to do puzzles. And so every year I try to find a more difficult puzzle than the previous year. I find puzzles to be frustrating more than anything else because I have a picture of what, is it, what the puzzle should be, but yet I can't find the pieces to go together to make the picture of what it's supposed to be. It seems to be a really difficult task for me to put together. Now you have all the pieces right there. You know what you have in front of you, and yet I find it very hard to put them together. Now, you may find it very easy, and you're thinking, what's your problem? And, and you have a right to ask that question, because there are many. Um, but you may also be in the same boat. Puzzles may not be your thing. They may be difficult for you, and, and a, a difficult task to take on. And when you think about church community, we have all the pieces of the puzzle before us. We didn't, and we do not, provide the puzzle. We have the pieces, and in fact, we have more than that. We have the picture, we have the box right in front of us. And church, the Lord's church, has been brought together to bring all these pieces together. God has called His community to be one in of Him and He's provided all that we need. And yet, sometimes, oftentimes, when we put the puzzle together, it seems a little hard. Well, how do I put this? This one looks like it should fit here. This, is, this seemingly is my problem. It looks like it should go here in the puzzle, but it doesn't quite fit. It doesn't fit the picture. And so, one of the great challenges of church community is taking all the pieces that have been provided and working together to put them into the picture to which we are called to build. See, church is not about structure. If it were, then we are doing something wrong by meeting in a school cafeteria. It's about the people that gather in Jesus' name. And it's about people who are not simply looking for what they can uh, get out of it. It's for people who are looking to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And church community ought to be people who listen and implement. And Jesus, here in Matthew chapter 22, makes it quite clear where building comes up from. He goes to the very heart of the matter. Now the question to the, which the Pharisee asks is a dishonest question. He's trying to trap Jesus, but Jesus takes the opportunity to build up from in a very honest way. There are many laws that God's people must follow, that they must obey, pay attention to, and Jesus sums it all up into these two great commandments. That if you want to be a person who obeys and listens and follows and tries and works to put all the pieces together, start here. Love the Lord your God. But it's the second one that I want to pay attention to this morning. Jesus says the second one is like the first. It is love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. Now, Jesus is doing more than just giving us a place to build. He's giving us materials to build with. Blueprints are graphic representations of what is to be built. If you're going to build something, you need a blueprint. And the blueprint not only informs you, it tells you how the structure is going to look. It shows you what is going to be built. Jesus has given the pieces and He is showing the blueprint. Love the Lord your God. Here's the puzzle. Now love your neighbor as yourself. Here's how you do it. Now that seems quite simple and straightforward, but I need you to listen to exactly what Jesus is saying. Love the people around you as yourself. So, in Luke chapter 10, if you're like me and the man in Luke chapter 10, you start wondering, well, not only am I supposed to build this, but who am I supposed to build it with? Is what the question is in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On this occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Seems to happen quite a bit. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question is a question to find out if Jesus knows what he's talking about. It's a question to see if Jesus can say what he thinks and believes the answer is to be. And so, Jesus asks a question with the question. He says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man who initially asked the question, the expert in the law, begins to recite what we just read in Matthew chapter 22. Well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do this. And you will live. Quite simple, clear cut, and to the point. But verse 29 of Luke chapter 10. He wanted to justify himself, that is the expert in the law, that is the preacher, that is the elder, that is the church leader, wanted to justify himself. In other words, he wanted to make sure that his answer is what Jesus is going to give. See, you and I come to the table, we come to the puzzle, and we believe we know how the the picture ought to look. You see, Jesus has provided the picture, but often we go to the puzzle and we say, no, 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 the picture ought to be a little different. Here's how the picture ought to look. And this is what the man's doing by justifying himself. I know the answer to this, Jesus, and you better agree. That's what he's saying. And so, he wants to justify himself. And he asks this question. Who is my neighbor? Okay. Who is my neighbor? What the man is ultimately getting to is, I have the answer to this question, and I need to make sure you match up with my answer. But it all begins for this expert, for this preacher, for this elder, for this, te- for this church leader. It all begins with defining the neighbor. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second commandment is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Period. And somehow, somewhere along the way, we began to say, well, for us to build up from loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, we need to define the neighbor. So I looked up the word neighbor. And the word that's often used and mostly used, and especially by Jesus when he tells the story that, that happens here in Luke 10, or the word that he uses in Matthew chapter 22, is quite, well, simple. It means the person next to you, the people around you. So there's no ambiguity there. So why are we defining who our neighbor is? But the man wants to know. And my guess is, Somewhere in us, we feel like we need to know what neighborliness is. What it means to be a neighbor by defining who that person is. And so Jesus does something very Jesus-like here. He tells a story to answer the question. Now this may be a very familiar story to you. Jesus tells a story. Well, okay, you've asked me a question. Who is my neighbor? Let me tell you about a man who was going down a road. He was beaten and robbed, left for dead on the side of the road. He's in anguish and he's in pain and he can't do anything about it on this road. And a priest approaches the man. The priest sees the man and the priest makes a decision to go on the other side of the road to stay away from the man. And passes on. A second man, a Levite, uh, the tribe uh, from Levi comes up, and this is the family, this is the tribe that takes care of the, the temple. They have lots of jobs of the holy place to where God's Spirit dwells. A Levite goes down this road and sees the man on the side of the road, beaten, left for dead, and helpless, and he goes on the other side of the road and passes on. And Jesus continues the story, but there's a third man, a Samaritan. Samaritan's a very dirty word for an Israelite. You don't get along with Samaritans. In fact, you have preconceived notions of the Samaritan. They are dirty, they are vile, they are godless, and you do not interact with those kinds of people. And yet, Jesus tells the story of a Samaritan who comes across the helpless, beaten, robbed man on the side of the road now, as the pattern goes, you would expect the Samaritan to go on the other side and pass by, but it's not the Samaritan who goes on the other side of the road. The Samaritan stops, bandages the man on the side of the road, and it's the Samaritan who takes the man to the closest inn and buys supplies and buys his room and heals him. And Jesus, in Luke 10, verse 36, asked the man who asked the initial question, who is my neighbor, this. Now, which of the three do you think was a neighbor 
to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. Now, I think it's very easy to look and say, well, Jesus is, going, is answering the man's question. Who is my neighbor? Jesus tells the story and helps define who the neighbor is, which we're going to get to, but Je- that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not answering the question, who is my neighbor? In fact, Jesus is throwing out that question altogether, I think. And Jesus is not saying, well, you need to look at people or certain people as neighbors. No, you need to be a neighbor. No matter who you come across. And no matter who you're with. It's not the right question. And Jesus answers His own question. But He answers it by making sure you understand that the villain of the story has it right. The one you are not supposed to be around is the one who is living out the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not the churchgoer. It's not the deacon. It's not the elder. It is the vile Samaritan who lives out what it means to be a neighbor. Not define what a neighbor is, but to live out neighborliness. I made that up. Verse 37. So, the expert in the law, the man who knows what the answer is, replies, and I always envision his head's down, and he's got his hands kind of like a little kid, and he's kind of kicking the rock in front of him because he knows it's the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus replies, go. And do likewise. All of this to make this point this morning. We don't choose our neighbors. We choose to be a neighbor. It's not out there. It's not revolutionary. But it needs to be said and we need to take it to heart. Because if we are going to be people who define what a neighbor is, then we are not going to build from the greatest commandments. The easiest thing to do as a human being is to put people into boxes that we have defined. It is too easy and it is made too simple in the world that we live in. If we disagree, then we're going to cast you aside. If I don't like what you're doing, I'm going to cast you aside. I've defined you. If I don't like your lifestyle, I'm going to cast you aside. And what Jesus does in the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, everything hinges on these two great commandments, period, is that Jesus defines what it means not to define a neighbor, but to be a neighbor. You see the difference? And it's a message, and it is a difference that has huge implications on how we live and how we act and how we treat other people. Too, too often we are treating people as we think they ought to be treated rather than being the neighbor that we are called to be. 
We don't choose our neighbors. Just as much as you don't choose who's in this room right now, but you get to choose if you're going to be a neighbor. Which is why Jesus uses the vile Samaritan in his story. Because there are people that we would look at that we would say, well, they're from that place, or they've done this kind of thing, or they live this kind of way, and we look at those kinds of people, and you know what they are? They're vile Samaritans to us. They're people that we say, you know what? They're not neighbors because they're different. Because I don't agree with them. Because they haven't come to what I believe to be right. Jesus has no preconditions... Jesus has no predefined boxes for neighbor. Jesus says your question of who is a neighbor is rubbish. It's wrong. It's not right. You know who's a neighbor? The one who stops. The one who bandages. The one who carries. The one who's present with the person. Guess what, church? Neighborliness begins right here. I had a, a very interesting conversation with a woman not, not associated with our church in any way this past week. And she was asking about some questions about our young church, about the Heritage Church of Christ. And uh, she came to our outreach. She wanted to know, what outreach are we doing? And my answer, which is, is, is a pretty standard answer, is right now our outreach is to encourage the teachers and staff of this elementary school. That's it. That's what we do. That's our outreach program. She looked at me. She had this quizzical look. And she goes, that's it? Oh, yeah, that's it. And she began to grill me about, well, what about the neighbors? What about other people? What about the surrounding communities? And she went through this whole spiel about how, essentially, we were inadequate in our outreach. And I smiled and I nodded. And I said to her, I said, those are really great points. But our hope and our dream is to simply be a good neighbor. We want to be good neighbors. This isn't our home. This isn't our place. We want to have our own home and our own place sometime, but we are guests here. And it makes way too much sense for us. And it, it very easily could happen this way where we ignore the circumstances, forget our situation, and say, well, you know, this is different, so we're going to define our neighbors as something else. But our neighbors are right here. They're not here on Sunday. There's no classes here on Sunday. But you know what we can do? We can be good neighbors. We can be good neighbors every day of the week. We can be present in other ways. We can encourage in other ways. We can define ourselves through our neighborliness rather than defining who the neighbor is. We choose to be good neighbors. And Jesus thinks, I believe, Luke chapter 10, that our trying to define what a neighbor is or who a neighbor is is a bunch of rubbish. doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit when a 
person or a community is building up from the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Second's just like it. Love other people. I love this passage in James chapter 2. James, right off the heels of defining what pure and faultless religion is, makes this statement, James 2 verse 8. Talking to the church. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. And I love that. James, in the book of James, is just to the heart and to the core, and it's to the simple uh, to the simple place for us to define these kinds of things. Religion is taking care of people in distress or the forgotten, and the royal law is this. Love your neighbor. That's how you do right. Verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Picking up in verse 12. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And the expert in the law, when he answers Jesus' question, which of the three was the neighbor, he simply says the one who showed mercy. Being a good neighbor begins with people who are going to show mercy. Every person, every story, every background is welcome here. And it's not just a a fancy thing for us to say it is reality because this is not our church. This is not our community. We are building up from what Jesus has called us to build up from, loving the Lord our God and loving the people that are around us. And until we can get past the question, who is my neighbor, we will never live into, we will never build from this blueprint that people matter. Human beings from different walks of life matter. Human beings with different lifestyles matter. Why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Um, we lived in a, a little town for a, little, uh, for a while. And uh, behind our house, uh, we were on a corner there, so behind our house was, was a half a block of duplexes. And they were pretty run-down duplexes. And they were pretty, pretty transient, people in and out quite often. And there's one neighbor there, Henry, that we got to know. And Henry lived by himself. He rode his bike everywhere he went. Henry had no heat in this little duplex, uh, and it barely had any furniture. Um, he had a couple space heaters when it got really cold and those kinds of things. But I got to know Henry in our time living in this house. 
Now, Henry was an African-American gentleman. The reason I tell you that is, is because when Henry moved in, someone in town told me, quote, look out for him. And I said, well, what do you mean? Has he done something before? This is a little town. And he goes, no, 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 but those people are not good neighbors. And my experience with Henry was the exact opposite of this prejudgmental comment that was made to me one day. He was kind, and he was generous. We often had great conversations about religion. Politics were thrown in there. He knew a lot about bicycles, and I would ask a lot of questions. We'd often give Henry some food, heaters if he needed them. A couple years in a row, we invited him to Christmas dinner. He never took us up for it. He never came to church. And it was clear Henry was never going to come to church. But you know what? I didn't decide for Henry to live next door to me. We decided to be neighbors to Henry. And being a good neighbor is not about adding to the numbers. It's not about getting somewhere. It's not about achieving anything. Because when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're going to love other people as God loves them, and that's all you need. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And how dare us, how dare us judge people that are different than us? I don't care what country they came from. I don't care what their background is. I don't care what their lifestyle is. I will choose to be a good neighbor. Why? Because I love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And I want to love other people. Here's what happens, Melissa, when we start living this out. We start building community and church from a very solid foundation. And that foundation is the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Church, community, it, the body of Jesus Christ is built up from a very pure and holy place. And what occupies this home, what occupies this place is the greatest command, loving God. See, they go together. They fit together. They make sense together. Because if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're going to love other people as yourself. And if you love other people as yourself, you will learn to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And community is built. Church, heritage, guests, neighbors. This is a community that wants to be built on something solid. This is a place that is trying to put all those puzzle pieces together. And it might be messy, and it may not fit from time to time, and it may not make a lot of sense to us, but if we can start here, 
then whatever happens over there will be God's and not ours. And I can't think of a better foundation, a better home to begin with. I'll make myself available in the back of this cafeteria. We're going to stand and sing a song. This is the Lord's invitation. Invitation to respond to God's holy word. Matthew 22, Luke chapter 10, and James chapter 2. Will you be a person where mercy triumphs over judgment? Will you help make this church, this community, a place of mercy? Let's stand together and let's sing.